Well, good morning. Did you have a good break? Not really, I guess, huh? Okay. Well, I had a good, uh, good weekend anyway, so good to have you back. Welcome to chapel, and uh, let's finish this year strong. So uh, this morning, our speaker is Chris Kopka. He is the Director of Strategic Outreach for Bright Peak uh, Financial. Uh, they've got a great website. You got to go there and look at it. I wish that he had been around or they'd been around when I had graduated from Crown College. Uh, Kathy and I got married, and a week later, we were serving in a church in Elmhurst, Illinois. And about a year and a half later, uh, when taxes were due, I did not have enough money to pay my taxes. I owed $600. And I had to go to the uh, chairman of the board and say, you know, I either don't pay taxes or I got to get a, I got to float a loan from the church for $600. And I felt like such a creep. Like, who can't, like, get $600 to pay their taxes? And I'd had jobs since I was 12 years old. And here I am at 24, and I'm $600 in the hole. And... Um, you know, I would just hope that none of us get to that point uh, ever again. And I know that if I had been a more faithful uh, steward of what God had given me, I would have had those $600 to pay my taxes. Now, I don't know that any of you will find yourself in that kind of position, but Bright, Bright Peak is designed for young people to be financially faithful and to uh, put their life at the disposal of God, whatever work he calls them into. And so I'm so glad that, Chris, that you're here today and you can talk with us today. Uh, Chris, his passion is poetry. His training um, is in the law. Uh, but I think you're going to enjoy hearing him speak today about the integration of faith and work. Chris, come and uh, speak to us. Let's welcome Chris Kopka. Thanks, Dr. Wiggins. Um, before I get started this morning, for those of you who brought your phones, would you break them out for a second? And if you have, like my phone has, a clock app, whatever your clock app looks like, uh, pull that up for me. And then once you have that open, go into your timer and set it to three minutes. And I can't see you, but you can see me. So I'm just going to wait about 15 seconds before I start so you can get your Timer's ready, but don't hit go, don't hit start. We're going to come back to that a little bit later. And then once you have that set, you can just hold your phone or put it away for about 15 minutes. All right, I'm going to assume everybody's ready with that. Good morning. My name is Chris Kopka. I'm so thankful to be here. And I do call myself a poet by passion, a lawyer by training, and a business strategist by accident. Um, those, two, those three things are true. I also bake bread. That'll come up a little bit this morning. And I'm madly in love with a woman by the name of Anna Dvorak. Uh, we were married in 1994. So we've been together 20 years and a little bit better. Thank you. Better still, uh, thank her. More than thanking me. Um, and that's actually how I love to be introduced. Uh, even though I'm a bit of a corporate guy, uh, I find that corporate or business bios can be sort of strange. Um, sometimes when I speak, though, I get introduced as an entrepreneur, and that's not quite right 
either. Uh, and sometimes when I get introduced, I get introduced as an intrapreneur, and that's directionally more correct. So Bright Peak Financial uh, is a division of an organization called Thrivent that I'm a part of, and my job is to help them start different businesses, different ministries as well. So to me, an, an intrapreneur is a hybrid. It's in part someone who starts businesses like an entrepreneur, but it's also somebody who works on behalf of an organization that already exists. And hence, I get a salary when I'm starting businesses. Most entrepreneurs do not get salaries. They take on a different kind of risk. So I'm more like an employee. But success for an entrepreneur and success for an entrepreneur are pretty similar. It's about figuring out what might be and then finding the path or paths to bring what might be into existence, if that makes sense for everybody. And so I'm thrilled that Bright Peak exists today. Um, and I'm fortunate enough to do that kind of stuff on behalf of America's only Fortune 500 company, but it also happens to be a nonprofit, member-owned organization, and it's an organization that's owned by Christians. So I've got a pretty cool gig, and I get to talk to you about it a little bit this morning. Uh, and I suspect it's in part that background where Dr. Wiggins and Bill and others invited me to spend a bit of time with you talking about faith and business. And I'll spend exactly zero time talking about how to start a business. Um, that didn't feel right for chapel, although if, if, there, if there's ever an interest to do that in one of the courses, I'd be happy to come back. And if some of you wanna come downtown to Minneapolis and see how we do it, by all means, let's, let's set up a, a, a chance to visit us downtown. Um, instead, what I'd like to do is just share with you a bit from my personal journey over the last eight years and I'll talk about three essential elements that have been occurring to me and that I've experienced, and they help integrate my faith into business building activities. And those elements, I'll just spell them out right now. The first one's prayer. The second one is doubt. So Jonathan, a bit of what you were singing in the second song resonates with me quite a bit. And then the third is anonymity, anonymity. So let's talk uh, first a bit about prayer. And breakfasts in a corporate cafeteria feature really prominently in the story of my return to faith. So when I interviewed to join Thrivent back in 2006, I was actually at pains during the interview process to explain to them how I was actually no longer a Christian. I was no longer a Christian, even though I'd been raised in a faith tradition. And I told them that I considered myself an ecumenist, whatever that means. I didn't want there to be any false pretenses or misunderstandings about my faith when I got hired. So during the interview process, Thrivent in turn purposefully chose not to have a statement of faith, even though they're a membership organization of Christians. And they were at pains to tell me how I did not have to be a Christian to work there. And at a different time over a coffee, I can give you more context if that's helpful for some of you. But so I ended up joining there, and for my first two years before I got into business development, I helped them lead and build our enterprise-wide uh, compliance and ethics programs. And that was before I moved into strategy and business development. But it was soon after I got there, I noticed that many Thrivent employees would say grace, often silently, and it was over their meals in the cafeteria. And because it was never forced and it was never required, I never felt put out by the practice. And it was quite the opposite. I started to feel something I can't quite put into words, um, but it could perhaps be described best as an absence. So 
something felt missing in my life, and it was a deeper sense of gratitude. And what's funny about that is I've always been a pretty thankful guy. I'm a rather happy guy, and I've led what I feel like is a charmed life, especially once I got out of high school. High school has its own weirdness, right? Doesn't it feel a little better once you get to college? It feels even better once you're done with college, by the way. <laughs> Just wait for it. Um, so there I was, I was sitting in the cafeteria in my first years there, and I started to wonder, to whom should I be grateful? And that was linked to a different question, which was, why am I here? And I don't mean, why am I there in a cafeteria, or why are we here in a gym? Like, why are we here on earth? And at some point, I don't really remember when, but it was probably around the middle of 2008, I found myself saying grace over my breakfast and my lunches. And I was doing this clandestinely. I was kind of hiding it. That's how I started praying. And, and at some point along the way, a colleague of mine, Mike, he and I became really dear friends. And at another point, we started studying the Bible together. This was, by, by the way, this was not in the interview process, right? So for Mike and for me, ours is the smallest of small groups. It's just two geeky guys. We meet over breakfast twice a month in various diners around town. Sometimes it's only once because I travel a lot for work. And that's in part why we have, we've set it up as a smaller group so that I can be committed to one person. Um, it's harder if you're in a small group and you're the guy always on the road to have that level of commitment. So what we do is when we study, we almost always start with one of us saying grace over the meal. And then we dive in. We get hopeless, hopelessly absorbed into something or other. And then we're rushed at the end to get back to work. And I want to tell you about one Saturday morning. One Saturday morning a couple of years ago, Mike and I met at a local bakery. And interestingly enough, we noticed that we didn't say grace when our breakfast was a simple meal. It was just toast. Like, what's up with that? So like an hour into being at the bakery, we both stopped. And we talked about how curious it was that we hadn't said grace over a simple slice of bread. So should our gratitude be reserved only for formal meals? Should we only pray when it's like a bigger breakfast? Mike and I are similar in that we only say grace around people when, when we have the best sense that they're not gonna feel put out. And what I mean by that, and I suspect it comes from a shared sense for both he and I, that our expression of gratitude toward God shouldn't get muddled up with making somebody else feel uncomfortable, right? So there's a delicate balance in how you do this, both inside thriving, and then for us when we're outside doing Bible study at a local diner. So here we are on that Saturday morning, and we're both feeling grateful even for that piece of bread. And here's what we realized. That piece of bread had been freely given to us. And even for that piece of bread, we could be grateful. So I want to briefly share the perspective of the CEO of Thriven. His name's Brad Hewitt. And he had a take on this, which I really like. Quite literally, we cannot pay for the water's ability to sprout the seed. We cannot pay for the strength of the seed to break through the soil. And we can't pay for the sun's ability to nourish the seedling into a stalk that will hold the grains of wheat. And whether you're in business or ministry, there's a message in there because here's what we can pay for. 
we can pay for the farmer to harvest the wheat and respect the farmer for that. We can pay for the baker to bake the bread and respect the farmer for that work. But at its essence, the simple piece of toast is freely given to us, and it's through an act of truly amazing grace. So, Mike and I found ourselves on that Saturday morning raising our coffee mugs, and here's my coffee mug. I have no idea if you guys have coffee out there, I can't see. But if you do, raise it up with me. So we quite literally, an hour in to our, to our study, we raised our coffee mugs, and we said a toast to grace. And we reflected how faith can be strong enough and our gratitude can be deep enough to say grace even over toast. Yep, crazy as it sounds, we can even pray over our toast. And that's something I learned by being in a business setting. So the more I hang out with faith-filled people who are thinking about building a business, the more I realize that prayer is sometimes a practice leading up to the decision to start the business. But here's the surprising part. It's not always a practice of faith-filled people to pray before the decision to start a business. And if we can pray for our toast, I would submit one of the things I've learned is it might make sense to pray even over the starting of a business. At the same time, this shouldn't surprise me, and I actually hope it doesn't surprise you either. So consider how infrequently Americans pray at all. And when they do pray, how little they pray, how little we pray. Are any of you here from Rhode Island? Shout it out if you are. Yeah, okay. Rhode Island is awesome. And here's one of the crazy stats from Rhode Island. When Rhode Islanders pray daily, they pray on average just two minutes a day. Two minutes a day. I'm not anti-Rhode Island, by the way. I'm very much pro-Rhode Island. Right? And if you go across the United States and you look at different states, there are some states where pray, people pray a little bit more. I haven't been able to find evidence of any state where they pray more in a given day than how much they spend time watching TV, for instance. Here's the thing, by the way. I, I'm certainly not perfect about daily prayer, but it is something that I seek to increase as a daily practice for myself. And I've learned to appreciate how much it informs my work. And I'm reminded every day of the many things I have to be grateful for. And that includes the gift of incredible and incredibly challenging work starting businesses. So let me turn to the second element, and that's the element of doubt. I'm going to take a drink of this before I do that. Finishing my toast to grace. Okay, I can certainly see why some people think the most remarkable thing about the Gospel of Matthew is chapter 14 verse 25. That's Jesus walking on the water. And I've got to admit it, the Son of God on the water, that's pretty cool. But I would argue what's coming up is even more remarkable. And it happens in verse 29. That's when Jesus instructs the apostle Simon to come to him on the water. Imagine that. Simon steps out of the boat and briefly walks on the water toward Jesus. Of course, what happens next is rather embarrassing for Simon, isn't it? Right? He walks on the water, then he looks around, and he freaks out, and he starts to, to sink. And he shouts, save me, Lord. Save me, Lord. 
Isn't that curious? Imagine what might be going on in Jesus' head at this moment. I mean, seriously, this guy Simon is doubting me. I figure at that moment, Jesus has options. And one of those options is to just let him sink. But the history of Christianity would be pretty brief if Jesus just stood by on the water and did nothing, right? So in verse 31, Jesus saves Simon. Of course he does. But he's also like, hey, why were you doubting me? I draw two important lessons from this for my work in building businesses. The first one is, it's for me personally in some respects, it's that when I'm invited to take risks, when I get invited to step out of the boat, there's a pretty good chance that I'm gonna experience doubt at some point. Believe me, when you're in the business of starting businesses, there are a lot of doubts. You don't know if it's gonna work, even if you think it's gonna work, even if you feel it's gonna work. And prayer helps, but doubts happen. So it feels good to know that God's not gonna freak out even when I'm freaking out. Does that make sense? Here's the second lesson for my work, though, and it's because I think something is happening in the Gospel of Matthew that is even more remarkable than Jesus walking on the water or Simon walking on the water. Most biblical scholars peg Simon's age at somewhere between late teens to late 20s. In today's terms, that means Simon would basically be a millennial, hanging out with Jesus, walking on water, then doubting the Son of God and needing his help. Clearly, the millennial Simon doubted Jesus in that moment of stepping out of the boat right after. But did Jesus doubt the doubting millennial? No. And that is so remarkable. Because, of course, in Matthew chapter 16, Jesus gives Simon a different name. Cephas, Peter, the rock. The apostle Simon Peter is the rock upon which his church will be built. The rock is not the most senior rabbi of his day. The rock is not the most popular politician. The rock isn't a 45-year-old entrepreneur at Thriving. Right? The rock upon which the church will be built, his church will be built, is a millennial. And it was a doubting millennial at that. So through these chapters in the gospel, I return to a formative question for myself. If I'm invited to emulate the life of Christ, even in the work of building businesses, one of the questions for me has to be this. How often am I inviting millennials to step out of the boat, to take a leap of faith, and for themselves to grow as leaders? Even though I know they will have doubts themselves, sometimes significant doubts. And actually, if you look at the Bright Peak website at some point, you'll see that better than half of our office, almost 60% of our office is under the age of 35, and most of those folks are under the age of 32. So they'd definitionally be more or less millennials. And I think it's been powerful for us and powerful for them. And when I read this, what occurs to me is that millennials can be, and they will be, the rocks upon which the future will be built including the future of his church and the future of our society 
and that includes the future of our businesses within our society. By the way, that's your generation. It's assembled right here at Crown College. And it's the main reason, frankly, why I'm honored to be speaking with you here today. Let me turn lastly to anonymity before I close. So through my studies and with the help of my friend Jim, who's a former church planter, I've noticed a really funny thing about Jesus. Right after Christmas, right after he's born, we pretty much lose track of him in the New Testament. And honestly, we lose track of him for almost 30 years. If I understand his life correctly, he chose to live those first 30 years of his life among us anonymously. And if I understand his life correctly, during those anonymous 30 years, he got to know our fragility. He got to know our vanity. He got to know our doubts, Jonathan, yours and mine, those young men who are at the camp and everybody in this room. But he also got to see our generosity. And here's the good news. When he checks back in with us at around the age of 30, what happens? He doesn't abandon us. We see that he's hanging out with hookers and lepers. We see that he's hanging out with soldiers and tax collectors. This guy understands us. He understands our best intentions, even though he's seen the worst when he lived and toiled with us anonymously. And having walked quietly and toiled anonymously with us for 30 years, having toiled alongside us for 30 years, before we even know who he is, surely he understands our imperfections. And guess what? If I understand his life correctly, he loves us anyway, even me, even you. And I find an incredible lesson in there that pertains to life generally, and it certainly in, pertains to how faith integrates into business building for me specifically. There is a power and a purpose in anonymous toil. I get a bit nervous for businesses that are so quick to announce themselves to the world before they have proven themselves in any way. I see this a lot in social media. Hashtag this, see what we're doing. It's not a problem, but there's a bit of a missed opportunity. I can learn much about myself and much about those around me by working for sometimes a long time before being in the limelight and realizing I don't need to be flashy. I can trust that the right time and place will reveal itself about when to be public. And I can wish that when it is time to be public, it's gonna be much less about helping myself. It's not gonna be about getting rich or getting stuff. At the time to be public, it will be time to serve others through what I've learned through anonymous toil. So before I conclude, those are the three elements that I've learned over the eight years at Thriving, especially the six years of being an entrepreneur. Power, Power is in prayer, and prayer is powerful. It's so important. Doubts are real, they happen, but God is not freaked out by them. And toiling away in anonymity, it's okay. His son did it, I can do it too, we can all do it too. Okay, for those of you who have those phones and timers, pull them out. 
Here's what I'd like to do in our last few minutes here. Um, We're gonna set our timers in a second, but I'm gonna give you a bit of context. For those of you who are not in the habit of praying daily, here's a chance just to give it a shot. If you've pondered in your heart about whether you are called to start a business, whether while you're here at Crown College or after college, maybe take these three minutes to pray about that. I suspect a little bit like myself and a little bit like Jonathan who've shared that we've hit moments of doubt. If you're in a moment of doubt right now, maybe take those three minutes and just pray about that. I've actually found praying about doubt is remarkable. And it's nice to know that God's not freaked out while I'm doing it. So on the count of three, once I start three, we're gonna hit our timers and we're gonna pray together silently for three minutes. And then our time here will be done. And if any of you want to do a quick sidebar afterwards, I'm more than happy to talk about the business side of business or the faith side of business. But before I go, we're going to count to three. We'll pray together for three minutes, and then I'll get back up to say chapel's done. One, two, three, hit start.
Thanks, everybody. You've now prayed longer than the average Rhode Islander. <laughs> I hope you have a great day. Blessings. <laughs>